The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Spring really is trying to arrive in the uncontrolled airspace hangar, but it seems to be taking its time. Jeb is working through his own personal right of spring, his airplane's annual, while Jack and Dave are just trying to cope with unseasonable freak snowstorms. They discuss ways to avoid runway incursions, share more listener feedback, and talk about things to look for when returning to flight after the winter. All this and more on Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 23, Ponca City is Calling Us. Welcome, folks, to episode number 23 of Uncontrolled Airspace. Hanging out here with this, with me this morning in the virtual hangar, Dave Higdon. Dave talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Dave is, of course, an aviation photographer, a senior editor at Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Jack. Hello, fellow aviators. I hope uh, some of you have been enjoying some of the spring airtime opportunities we've had recently. Yeah, I know. So apparently it's like snowing there today? It's snowing here. We're recording uh, this on, uh, what is it, Thursday? Well, it's evening. It's 6 o'clock on the, on the East Coast, so it's, it's Thursday afternoon, and, uh, and it's snowing in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, it's been snowing for a couple hours, so and it's the, ground, the ground's white. And it snowed like crazy up here in New England yesterday afternoon and evening. Uh, some places up in northern New England got a foot of snow. So <laughs> it's just plain craziness. Um, uh, put away that blower a little too early. Now, one of the places in America where apparently it's not snowing is Springfield, Virginia, where Jeb Burnside is sitting right now. Jeb is a freelance aviation journalist, cur- currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine and also as a contributing editor to AvWeb Biz. How you doing, Jeb? We are a snow-free zone down here today. Yeah, see, and I, I am I am warm and cozy. Well, that's <laughs> that's always a good thing because boy, I'm telling you, it's, it's it was beautiful. It just really faked us out. We had a couple of high sixty days, comfortable sixty days, almost oh, seventy. Yeah. And we had some great weather uh, a week or so ago, and uh, last night, yesterday, the day before, it got kind of wonky. We had some rain overnight. I had a thunderstorm actually come through overnight, which is kind of rare this time of year. Uh, today, it was 32. I had an early morning meeting. Um, had to get out of the house. It was 32. Um, supposed to get down to 29 tonight, but it's it's been kind of breezy and, and uh, the, the occasional cloud passing by. It's Pretty typical spring weather, early spring weather, I should say. Uh huh. We should probably we haven't been hearing today any of the uh, single engine pistons that we were hearing a lot of Monday and Tuesday. So yeah, it'll be back by Sunday. Yeah. Well, and of course, we, we should have come up. We, we should have found a. Uh, you guys are on. You guys have your web browsers open. Give me a give me a weather uh, observation for Lakeland, Florida. What's it like down there today? Lakeland, Florida. Because okay. we're all headed down there. We're. I mean, I can't wait. I'm just so looking forward to this on so many different levels. Uh, heading down to the Sun and Fun Fly-in in a couple of weeks, uh, where uh, we're going to be doing our uh, 
doing the podcast from the grounds of Sun and Fun Fly-In uh, on uh, Wednesday afternoon. Uh, we talked a lot about this last week, and uh, and uh, just to kind of update you or to uh, anyone who missed that, uh, we are going to be recording podcast uh, episode number 25 there from the grounds of Sun and Fun Fly-In. Not only will we be recording it for the uh, internet like we usually do, but we're also going to be broadcasting the recording session live uh, on Sun and Fun Radio uh, on the in Lakeland there and around the grounds. So it's going to be really cool. We're going to have a good thing it's going to be done on the deck from the uh, radio station building and uh, there's a sort of nice lawn right there next to the deck so you can bring your uh, your blankets or your lawn chairs and hang out and uh, uh, and uh, participate in the uh, recording of the podcast we're looking forward to it it's going to be a lot of fun what's the weather down in uh, lakeland today well my uh let's see to the current weather in lakeland my, my browser's been a little wonky here this morning this afternoon um, but yeah, I would simply add that that little grassy area there by the uh, by the deck for uh, Sun and Fun Radio is a great place uh, um, for you folks to sit and, and join us and watch us uh, record one of these programs. And feel free to bring a pitcher of margaritas or uh, daiquiris, and uh, if we happen to skip down, you know, from the deck and kind of amble over in your direction with an empty cup, um, by all means, we would look forward to uh, to meeting you. Jeb, you know, you're developing a reputation, which is actually going to come up again later on in the show. I mean, it's kind of something that uh, uh, I think is kind of amusing. My reputation. Yeah, your reputation. And uh, But before we move on to that, I, I'm doing it again. See, I almost forget to say, my, and my name is Jack Hodgson. I'm up here in Boston, <laughs> Massachusetts. And uh, I am a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. So, uh, Lakeland, Florida's weather yeah, right Lakeland, now. Florida. 78 degrees, cloudy. I can take yeah, the cloudy. I'll take 78. You betcha. Um, yeah. Showers early this evening, partly cloudy and 78 tomorrow. Uh-huh. Clear and 53 tomorrow night. So sign me up. Yeah, that sounds good. With or without margaritas. <laughs> That's right. So what's going on? We touched on this a really quickly last week. Uh, so, Jeb, you're in the midst of doing the annual on your... Uh, I'm, I'm doing the annual inspection on my airplane. Uh, how's it going? It's going okay. Um, um, just made a major investment at Aircraft Spruce uh, yesterday, uh, the major component of which was some, just getting some spark plugs, which... Uh, um, don't really need to change out the plugs I'm running, but uh, uh, they are starting to get a little bit oval. I run the massive electrode plugs in my bird, so. Uh, but you know, at, at twenty-one dollars and seventy-five cents a pop times twelve, that starts to get uh, uh, fairly pricey fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, a few other items: uh, ELT battery, um, some supplies. Um, trying to track down the elusive AN washer the, to stem a, uh, an oil leak on the engine and uh, a few other items like that. But um, um, so far, so good. Uh, we've uh, uh, My uh, close friend and uh, um, IA, uh, Lee Stikeleather, the man in black, and I have, have been going through the airplane. We've been making a few uh, upgrades, and a couple of those are complete. A couple of others are in process. Um, Right now the mags are off. Uh, the airplane is on jacks, uh, a jack. It's a it's a cradle jack that just slides under the airplane and and lifts the whole thing in one swell foop. Um, and um, things are rocking and rolling. This time next week we should um, uh, should be close to buttoned up and 
uh, get it back in the air, and uh, um, so I can scare the bejesus out of Jack on the way down to Florida. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> ah, the joys of aircraft. <laughs> I missed them. I'm, I'm looking oh, forward to uh, the loops. You know. Yeah, the, the 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 you know I think we'll do South Carolina inverted. How's that sound? Yeah, there you go. A little. A little <laughs> <laughs> if he does, if he if he does his barrel rolls right, you won't spill your car. I was going to make a jo- been joke. Been in that Hoover video. I was going to make a joke about a Cuban eight, but then you made a South Carolina joke, so I don't know how they fit together somehow. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, uh, uh, we have to get we have to get over Tampa to do Cuban Cuban eights. There you go. So any say, uh, and, and if you succeed with that Cuban eight, you can uh, qualify for a Cuban cigar. Yeah, that's right. So no uh, no nasty surprises uh, on nasty surprises. Um, uh, a couple of head scratchers, but uh, looks like we've worked through them. Um, and, you know, the airplane uh, um, has never really proved to be a maintenance problem or or anything like that. Um, uh-huh. when I went through, um, I guess what it was '04, early '04, well, three years ago. Uh, had literally ripped out the interior and, and redid uh, uh, all the uh, upholstery in the seats and everything like that, and um, you know, fixed and found and fixed and. and Cleaned up of several things um, in the floorboards and under the under the floorboards, things like that. Um, I've got new fuel cells. The engine's fairly new. Tires and bearings, all that kind of stuff is is engine's fairly new too. Yeah, yeah the engine's um, <laughs> engine is an 03 engine. Don't don't go there. Um, <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, <laughs> No, I think uh, I want to go I, there. What's the story? Mem- memory, yeah. Memories to, of sun and fun's past. Yeah, to 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 those who, uh, uh, and I'm sure the vast majority of our listeners aren't familiar, I um, uh, suffered a partial engine failure after leaving sun and fun uh, back in uh, 2003. And um, uh, that, uh, you know, put, put the airplane on the, the basically the longest runway between the shuttle landing facility and uh, longest runway on the East Coast between the shuttle landing facility and JFK, which happened to be the former Cecil Naval Air Station down uh, just uh, west of Jacksonville, Florida. Put it down without a scratch or any other damage except some severely scrunched seats. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Um, Engines should suck gas. They should suck air. They should not suck valves. They should not suck valves. Um Hung a new cylinder on it there on site uh, after a couple of weeks and uh, flew it home. Um, and um, a couple of months later, uh, hung a new engine on it. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, everything's been uh, right with the world. Oh, the compressions on the engine are great. Um, yep. Everything's above 70, uh, cold, and without uh, without using the master orifice or anything like that. So uh, I'm a happy camper. <clears throat> it's just a matter of uh, uh, finishing up the labor and um, installing all the new parts and... Um, buttoning the sucker back up yeah our our friend uh, randy dufoe from air venture today sent us some pictures of uh from his annual they discovered a crack in his uh in the engine block you guys saw those pictures right yeah 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 yeah. that's uh, yeah the case had a uh had had a nice new vent installed (laughs) in it uh running kind of longitudinally below the uh Below the flange. Yeah. As I, re- as I recall, that was a fairly high time engine. Yeah. Was I think so. I, not ever having been an aircraft owner, I'm not all that familiar with this stuff, but I was surprised when he said that uh, they're apparently going to repair it, right? Is that? Yeah, that is. It is. I don't know. It kind of, cases, um, things like that are certainly weldable. You, 
in the welding process, um, using the right kind of rods um, for the material and using you know the right heat, um, you basically just add more material uh, to fill in the crack, and then you come back once the once the welding is complete and uh, uh, machine it um, so that um, certainly on the inside of the case there's no uh, protrusions or problems that might interfere with uh, uh, cams or crankshafts or or piston rods, things like that, and uh, uh, dress it up on the outside so it, uh, A, looks a lot better than it did before, and B, you can tell if it cracks again. Um, and uh, go keep on, keep on getting it. Of course, a qualified shop uh, using uh, approved methods uh, materials is the only way to do that. Uh, you can't just do that with uh, Joe's Blacksmith Shop operating out under the oak tree in the backyard. Um, but um, not something certain- you try with a coat hanger and an oxyacetylene torch. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, you, you don't you don't get your rod, your welding rods from, uh, out of the closet. Yeah. Um, but um, certainly an approved approved way to do it. Um, I haven't talked to Randy about that recently to know how that's progressing. That's something we might want to follow up on. Yeah. Was it that engine had been overhauled about five times? It'd been through yeah, I think it had TBO like about five close times. to 10,000 hours on it or uh, on uh, yeah. the, the basic engine on that case. So one one crack out of all that is probably uh, uh, par for the course, if not ahead of the game, actually. Well, and it's, but, you know, it's uh, certainly no arguing that the uh, engine has delivered its money's worth. Yeah, they've they've definitely amortized that case down. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, keep up the good work on that annual, Jeb, because well, I'm coming on. down in a week and uh, count on it. And, uh, and for, for those who are, are not, again, not kind of privy to all the back and forth here, uh, Jack and I uh, will be flying down to Sun and Fun. Jack uh, kind of find his own way uh, uh, to my front door, and uh, uh, we'll regroup. Excuse me, I bumped my microphone. We'll regroup here and uh, fly down to Lakeland together for yeah. Sun and Fun. So Looking forward to it. About. It's going to be fun. Yeah. What else is going on? Let's see now. Uh, this story is a couple weeks old, but it might be worth a, a little bit of a conversation. Uh, the FAA, uh, on the occasion of the 10th anniversary of the terrible, terrible uh, runway uh, accident. Well, in, not 10th. It's more like not 30th. Tenth, no. 30th. Yeah, but yeah. of course, but of course, um, uh, the terrible runway accident at Tenerife, uh, uh, where the two big heavy aircraft uh, ran into each other, uh, uses yep, as an opportunity to uh, have a safety a runway safety forum, where they were talking a lot about runway incursions, which uh, continues to be uh, a problem. And uh, uh, there have been a bunch of stories in the in the uh, in the. Uh, media and just people talking about it i mean what you know is this just something we have to live with in aviation or or can we is there a clever way to get better you know i mean should let me, let me ask you this way let me a little devil's advocate here should pilots have to get a sign off if they want to taxi an aircraft at one of these complex airports that are kind of hard to find your way around on yeah quick answer uh, no no there's a there's a uh, an audio file um circulating on the internet um that's Allegedly, and I have no reason to, to suspect that it's not, allegedly um, the audio from the ground frequency, one of the ground frequencies at JFK International. I don't know the time frame. I don't know what date it was recorded. Uh, I don't know what time of day it was recorded. But it's here's a group of professional pilots of all nationalities uh, trying to maneuver on the ground at Kennedy, and the controller is just going... 
uh, a little bit frantic uh, trying to keep trying to hurt all these cats. Quite literally, you got JetBlue, you got Alitalia, all these people kind of competing for ramp space. Um, it's it's very gates it's, and different concourses, yeah, and different taxiways. It, it's and, very interesting. It's very educational, uh, and uh, it's it's also kind of indicative of of the. the congestion at some of these these major airports that um, of course it's all airline traffic there's not a Cherokee or a Learjet or a Gulfstream involved uh, well, I, I take that back there was one biz jet I don't know the uh, specific type um, that, that was um, uh, on that frequency at that particular time uh, but that particular biz jet was not part of the problem uh, I would point out um, the quick answer uh, um, to you know should pilots have sign-offs to operate at specific airports or taxi at specific airports? Uh, the problem with that is some of these airport con ground configurations change on a daily basis. You have taxiways that are being repaired and are blocked off. All that's, of course, listed by NOTAM. Um, sometimes new runways, uh, uh, infrequently new runways, but certainly sometimes new taxiways are opened. Some are permanently closed. It's a moving target. Um, and it changes day-to-day -day with the configuration of the runway, depending yeah. on which one runways are active, and, you know, which is which way the wind blows, and uh, that'll change the flow in and out. Uh, it, uh, it does require a little advanced thinking, advanced preparation. I mean, uh, the uh, airport diagrams are, are updated on a 56-day cycle uh, in your uh, IFR chart uh, kits just like uh, just like approach plates but uh, you got to look at them uh, and, yeah. and and before you before you turn the key if you're leaving and uh, before you start the approach if you're inbound yeah absolutely um, and you know some of the more modern avionics will uh, allow you to literally zoom in on your moving map down to the taxiway level um, the uh, you know not really telling stories out of school here, I don't think. I certainly don't have any any you know inside information. Um, Garmin, uh, which is has a series of wildly successful GPS uh, portable GPS navigators, seems like they add new features every year and, and change the uh, change the number on the unit, and then of course change the pricing on the unit. But um, they're rumored to have a 596 coming out. Uh, one uh, feature of which is uh, uh, updatable taxi ch taxiway charts for, for major airports for which a uh, taxiway chart is published. And one can only imagine that that, will, that little portable device for under $3,000 will allow you to zoom in, um, figure out where you are, where you want to go, and, and uh, get there without any hassle. Um, and that technology already exists on larger irons. So. But do you think, I don't know, I'm just not convinced that it's the people who have the IFR charts or have the fancy GPSs that are really the ones that are likely to get themselves in a jam anyways. Well, I, I would, uh, well, two things. <laughs> I, I, I would point out that at Tenerife, um, the um, accident there that was kind of the, the, that is truly the poster child for runway incursion accidents involved two professional crews flying Boeing 747s in scheduled service uh, in very low IFR conditions. Uh, on a clear day, um, the guy in the Cherokee um, can navigate fairly well, um, even when the, the taxiway signs are bigger than his airplane. 
um, it, it's it's when the the weather's in the crapper and uh, the airport is crowded and confusing that this kind of uh, guidance uh, or assistance perhaps is is more necessary. Um, that's why we have uh, progressive taxi instructions. That's why we have uh, ground control frequencies in general at these large airports. Well, they're working on technologies that will uh, let any cockpit with a multifunction display screen or something similar uh, put up taxiway charts and airport charts. So, right. I, I guess... But, uh, and that's not going to trickle all the way down or all the way up for, for quite a long time. Yeah, I mean, I'm the technology guy. I love the idea of solving these kind of problems with technology, but I'm kind of struggling to figure out what the advice is for, you know, the guy in the in the cub who's at a who's taxiing around at an airport that he's never been to before that's a little bit more complex than the one he's based at. Well, yeah. Jim just went through part yeah. of it, uh, progressive that, taxi instruction. So just use your head. Just be aware. Just stay on top uh, of the situation. Don't make assumptions. I, well, planning is part of it. I yeah. mean, yeah. if you're a Cub driver and, and Cherokee driver or Skyhawk driver, and let's say you have to go to Atlanta Hartsfield, my, my first question, of course, would be why? Yeah, right. But I'm not even talking about those. The, I'm not talking yeah. about a, you know, a, a class Bravo airport. I'm talking about, I don't know what, you know. I, you, uh, you know, runway incursions happen sometimes, uh, like my old home field, uh, Augusta Municipal, uh, out east of Wichita, Kansas. Uh, the, uh, you know, people think Kansas is flat, but it rolls a little bit, and the, uh, the runway at 3 Alpha Uniform uh, slopes downhill from, uh, from the north end to the south. And you can't see the south end from the north end or vice versa. And we've had occasions there when what technically was a runway incursion occurred when somebody was had their head down in a cockpit preparing to depart, didn't notice an airplane land. Airplane hit the runway, rolled past the hump in the runway. Got took the, the departing aircraft took to the uh, to the runway and took off. While the uh, aircraft that had just arrived was just past the midfield taxi point. Now, if uh, that had been an instance where the guy needed to back taxi for some reason, that could have well been uh, a, a lot less uh, uh, interesting in in terms of cocktail or hangar chatter. Uh, it could have killed some people. Uh, mm -hmm. Sixty-three people in the last 17 years have died in, in the U.S. alone uh, in, in runway incursions and collisions. And airport confusion, runway confusion, taxiway confusion can cause you, uh, big problems even when there's not a runway incursion. Uh, witness uh, last summer's uh, uh, departure accident at Lexington, Kentucky. Right. In a bluegrass field. The uh, crew got confused about where they were there in the dark. Uh, didn't notice that the uh, uh, compass was pointing to a runway orientation different than what they'd been cleared to depart from. And they uh, attempted to take off uh, from a runway that was about uh, 2,000 feet too short. Uh, they didn't get very far. Yeah. Uh, the, the only survivor was a co pilot. So. You know, the, the, you got to use your head. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I guess it's a variation on that rule that we always say. Um, and the variation being, you know, above all else, taxi the airplane. You know, pay attention to what you're doing. That's right. Yeah. Fly the airplane, sure, at all times. Yeah. Uh, if it, going back to to you know, one of the original questions here is 
what should the, the Cherokee or Skyhawk driver do when he's going to an unfamiliar airport? Uh, well, the, be prepared, the Boy Scout motto. Um, study, you know, you, clearly you don't, you want to, by regulation, be familiar with all the, the, all the information available for that particular flight. Uh, and that includes the runway configuration at the airport, obviously, the, uh, the uh, control tower and ground control frequencies. Um, you want to have in your cockpit um, uh, the taxi chart, if there is one published for that airport. If there isn't, you probably won't need it. But if there is one published, you should go get it. And uh, it's really easy to do that. You go to the FAA uh, uh, charting website. It's uh, uh, naco.faa.gov. Uh, and from there, you can navigate to the specific airport you're looking for and bring up an array of, of published uh, instrument procedures, including uh, approaches, uh, departure and arrival procedures, as well as the official FAA government-approved taxi chart. And it, uh, there's it, a, it, I believe it's a there's PDF. A... You download it, you print it out, you stick it in your uh, flight bag, and you take it with you to the airplane. And I believe there's a uh, course for uh, runway signage recognition uh -huh. on the Air Safety Foundation website. Yeah, I find that that's that. a source exactly. of, of, of problems with pilots who infrequently go to uh, significant airports. They fly out of a small field, it's got old signage, it doesn't have the new airline style signage or necessarily uh, paint stripes uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and taxi markers because it's either no taxiway or one parallel. And uh, these guys go into a, a class, an air, big airport in a Class C uh, or a Class Bravo airport, and then can't quite uh, decipher what the signage means and wind up, you know, rolling across a whole short line uh, inadvertently. And the next thing you know, they're on the active runway, hopefully not sharing physical time and space with another aircraft. Yeah. Several years ago. Uh, um I popped into uh, Cleveland Hopkins International. I was coming back from a business trip up to the Diamond Aircraft Factory in Ontario, Canada. And uh, I was using outdated information. And that outdated information said that the customs uh, ramp was in a certain location. And in fact, that customs ramp had been moved. Um, I suspect the ground controller at Cleveland Hopkins that day, in his nightmares, still knows my in number from that particular <laughs> from that particular in encounter, <laughs> and um, uh, I I am to this day embarrassed by my performance and my lack of preparation. Um, I I point that out simply to note that preparation is, again, the key uh -huh. to successful yeah. operations. I thought you were going to tell us that you were greeted by Homeland Security or something like that. No, this was this was well before September 11. The oh, concept okay. of Homeland Security had no, only I was been a county sheriff with a coon dog in the back. Yeah, <laughs> the, the concept of Homeland Security had really only been discussed by historians when they consider 1930s Germany. Oh, yes, okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, on and, that and note... Last, last, last quick piece. Okay, go ahead. If you found yourself at an airport Airport like that, and and you're you've got this string of taxi instructions that they rattled off like you really knew how to do this, yeah. and you find yourself confused, not sure where you are, not sure what you're supposed to do. Put on the brakes, key the mic, and ask for help. Yeah, that's what the ground controllers are there for, and they'll be more than happy to help you out. They may be a little harried, but they'll help yeah. you out. 
and, and David correctly noted the sequence of events. Apply the brakes and stop. Don't be meandering around the airport right. uh, trying to figure out where you're going. Stop. Figure out where you are, or if you can't do that, just stop and just say, you know, look, I'm, I'm confused. I'm lost. Um, confess, just like you might uh, if you were lost uh, while airborne. Yeah, and, in, uh, and, and the thing to keep in mind is that the controllers are not going to laugh at you for not knowing your way around. They're actually going to applaud that you, that you spoke up. Right. Exactly Don't chuckle right. after the mic here. Yeah, well, uh, okay, but uh, it's it's not something to be embarrassed about. Uh, and that's one of the. It's true. That's one of the first lessons I learned way back in my uh, my solo cross country days was to just say, "I'm unfamiliar with this airport. Please give me a little directions here." And they do, no problem. Everybody needs a little assistance every now and then. Yeah. There's nothing to be ashamed of. The the idea here is to have a safe, safe, successful flight. And to get home and uh, sleep in your own bed that night. There you go. And be prepared for another safe, successful flight another day. That's right. Moving on. Mile. Moving on. We've gotten. Uh, we've, we've get, we we continue to get some great feedback from our listeners, and I really appreciate that. Uh, uh, we've got still a backlog more than we're going to be able to talk about today, but I wanted to trot out a couple of them real quickly. And uh, the first is a bit of audio feedback uh, that we got on our listener line. Uh, this is from Rich in Morristown. Uh, the background here is uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but we we've been talking over the last few episodes about the. Uh, uh, the uh, air venture movies best aviation movie ever survey thing that's going on and we've talked a lot about what our choices are and 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 ones that we think aren't on the list uh rich from morristown uh, has uh, wants to weigh in with the one that he thinks is the best movie hi uncontrolled airspace this is rich from morristown uh it's kilo mike mike uniform Anyway, I was listening to episode 20 and uh, the movie selections you guys discussed. I'm a little disappointed that you guys didn't mention my favorite um, romance of aeronautical flight movie, which is Dark Blue World. It's a movie about a Czech squadron that gets uh, inserted into the RAF just after the Battle of Britain. They use a lot of the flying sequences and the footage, um, unused footage from the movie Battle of Britain. So it's got a lot of terrific Spitfires and Messerschmitts uh, dogging it out over the skies of uh, England and the Channel. Um, also, there's a really good uh, love story in there. This is my favorite part. attractive young lady in part of the movie, which I'm sure Jeb would appreciate. So anyway, um, if you haven't checked it out, and some people haven't seen it because it's kind of a smaller art house type movie, um, I recommend um, that somebody, uh, you guys all check out uh, Dark Blue World. Um, and um, that gets my vote of uh, the romantic aeronautic movie of all time. Thanks. Hey, thanks, Rich. There you go, Rich. So, uh, hey, Rich, I've heard about this movie. I, I actually I have too. I, I, am I getting a reputation? Here? This is what I'm telling you. This is what I mentioned earlier. <laughs> that uh, you're definitely starting to, uh, you know, develop a little bit of a of a uh, uh, persona it, it here. It, it ain't a reputation if it's fact. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. I will be out there shortly, Higdon, and I will beat the snot out of you for that one. Dark Blue World. So I'd heard about this a while ago, and I, I actually I went to look. I went to add this to my Netflix list and of of DVDs, and discovered it was already there. So it's kind of I bumped it up a little bit higher on the list, but I haven't seen it yet. Do you are you guys at all familiar with this movie? 
No, I, I, I know it exists, but I hadn't really uh, heard much about it, and I'm, I'm grateful for the recommendation. I will add it to my net, Netflix I saw list some, also. I saw some trailer on it uh -huh. uh, some time back. I don't remember what the circumstances were, uh, but it piqued my interest because, uh, it, it, as uh, Rich mentioned, some of, the, uh, some of the footage, flying footage, looked a little familiar. But if you've ever seen the Battle of Britain, which is, I think, one of the all-time great uh, flying movies, particularly war movies, uh, there's a, a, a segment there where they visit in and out with a Polish squadron that's being trained by the RAF, RAF in the midst of the Battle of Britain, uh -huh. how, how, how they get their introduction to aerial combat at last. So uh, it piqued my interest, but I haven't seen it. I'll watch for it, uh, seek it out. Yeah. And... and um there's a scene I recall from the movie The Battle of Britain, uh, which uh, touched on the fact that uh, Polish pilots were flying for the British uh, during that conflict. Um, so th this is probably, uh, as one of the comments here on the IMDb uh, site uh, uh, mentions, uh, it's highly uh, historically accurate. So uh, They had uh, French, they had Czech, they had Poles, and they had uh, Americans. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very so, interesting. And apparently it has pretty girls in it. So. Well, there you go. What what what, what more could he? Airplanes, have, right? pretty girls. It's right. Probably a couple of that, cute guys if you're so inclined. You know. And, 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 and say airplanes, and, pretty don't, girls. Don't forget the margaritas. If it's got, I, I'm just going to say if it's got a good beer or uh, maker's mark in it, then you've just hit on all the Jeb cylinders all at one time. Well, thank you, Rich, for your uh, the sending us the uh, audio feedback. Uh, we we want more and more audio feedback from our listeners. So uh, if you're uh, so inclined, you can call our listener line, and it's just like using voicemail, and leave us a little uh, audio comment, and we will probably run it on the show. The phone I don't like to give the phone number on the podcast because the service we use it's the the number. Is is liable to change from time to time. So, but you can always go to the front page of our website, uncontrolledairspace.com, and the current phone number will be there. And uh, and leave us an audio comment. And then uh, regular email, uh, we got an email from Matt from Arkansas. And uh, Matt, uh, Matt wrote, and I've kind of trimmed this down a little bit. Um, you won't think so when I read it because it's still, but there's some good stuff here. Uh, Matt from Arkansas writes, and by the way, the subject of his, of his email is, I'm finally doing it. He says, uh, Jack, Jeb, Dave, I just want to let you know that I'm really enjoying the podcast and want you to keep up the great work. With the new weekly pace and some other shows pod fading, you've quickly become my favorite podcast to break up the doldrums of the work week. Then uh, he says, uh, I'm also writing to tell you that I'm finally doing it, he says, partly due to the fact that I finally have enough time and money at the same time, and due to your encouragement, I'm working on my private ticket. All right. There you go. He says, I've dreamed about this much of my life, building and flying radio control models through high school, college, and even some today. He says, if Dave and his work with kit planes has anything to do with it, my workbench and shop will be upgraded in the near future. He goes on to say, he goes on to say, uh, anyway, I've, he says, I've logged a whole 3.5 hours over the past two weeks, and it is absolutely great. He says, the sense of adventure and value added to my life is already amazing. I also say, I'll also say that twice weekly flying schedule seems to work great, giving enough time to prepare before and digest all the information after each flight. 
So that's great. That's great. Congratulations to, to Matt. Matt goes on to talk quickly about um, the subject that we've been talking about over the past uh, a few episodes of uh, ways that you might go about financing your uh, either aircraft purchase or your uh, your lessons. And uh, he differs with some of the things we've uh, some of the thoughts we've come up with. He says, lastly, I want to give a little feedback slash caution on a recent show topic. Although I agree with you guys on 99 percent of the items on the show, even the politics, he says, the discussion about (laughs) the discussion about financing raised some red flags. Believe me, no one wants people to be aircraft owners more than I. But I strongly disagree with someone risking their home via a mortgage to buy an aircraft in the name of taxes. I would argue that the risk taken doesn't warrant the dollar or two saved in April. A missed payment resulting in a repoed airplane is better than a foreclosed home. He goes on to say, I am a little weird on on the subject, but I'd even go a step further and argue that if a person can't afford the airplane in cash, then the aircraft doesn't deserve the owner. Payments added to hangar, inspections, insurance are the reasons for many of the poorly maintained aircraft in the fleet. And he says, keep up the great work. Thank you, Matt from Bentonville, Arkansas. Thank you, Matt. Well, so I, so I, Matt's pretty conservative on the subject of financing your airplane. Well, I, I spent uh, a, a quality hour and a half or so uh, earlier this week with my old friend Al Lang. Now, Al is an aircraft finance guru currently working for Door Aviation Credit out of their office in, in Minneapolis. And uh, it wasn't time to give him a plug here, but I was uh, interviewing him for a piece uh, that's going into the Aircraft Electronics Association's annual Pilot's Guide to Avionics. And the subject was financing a, a panel upgrade. But a couple of things that uh, that Al told me uh, bear out just as, uh, just as well in considering buying an aircraft, and that is your best deal, your best security, he said, is going to be uh, through using the aircraft itself as a security to, to, uh, to leverage the loan. That's the collateral. Mm-hmm. Uh, he noted that older airplanes in particular, uh, by and large, and it varies from type to type, but by and large tend to appreciate rather than depreciate so that as you're paying down the airplane, it's getting, you know, it's gaining in value. Uh, if you get the airplane uh, with some equity on the loan and you need to do something like a panel or engine or paint or interior, uh, it's really easy and generally pretty convenient to use the airplane again, refinance it, and build in the costs of that work. Uh, and the uh, the uh, companies are out there knocking themselves out to uh, to write this kind of business at what these days passes for really decent interest rates, uh, high six percent, low seven percent on aircraft loans uh, on terms up to 20 years. Now, as much as I like to agree with uh, listeners on almost everything, and I don't quibble with Matt's point, you, you know, you really ought to be able to pay cash. But if we could all pay cash, then guys like my friend Al Lang and thousands of others would be out of work, one. Uh, two, uh, on we could probably doors. all afford to buy our houses, which would wreak havoc on the uh, on the home mortgage market and more unemployment. And see, three, it's just really not practical for the vast majority of us to uh, uh, to, to save money to, to buy an item like that uh, when we could be using it and paying it down at about the same cost of uh, putting money back in a bank account every month. So uh, if you're going to do it, now is not a bad time. 
Uh, that was a great time. Um, in fact, uh, a month or so ago might have been a better time. Now we're getting into the, the spring flying season, and, and generally, generally, there's always exceptions, but generally at this time of year, prices start to trend up or at least firm up. Um, but uh, if you look at some of the uh, used aircraft price guides, uh, uh, AOPA has a, a VREF. Uh, product they call it on their website and there are several others out there if you look at some of those price guides prices have softened uh, for uh, uh, many airplanes across the board uh, in recent months as um, uh, for lack of, of a better reason the general economic softening here in North America um, that's tied to the mortgage uh, mortgage rates is tied to uh, a variety of factors um, not least of which of course is fuel prices but uh, now is a great time to buy an aircraft, um, and, and uh, Matt Matt is absolutely right. And, and uh, uh, when it comes to talking about uh, home equity loans and and trying to get a tax advantage or something like that on on the airplane, yeah, um, you're as much always, to use the airplane as leverage. Yeah, as, as always, you know, prudence in, in any kind of a financial uh, endeavor is is should be your hallmark. And uh, I threw that out there simply as a as a means to ensure that people were aware that uh, um, even if there isn't a, a tax advantage or a business use uh, uh, portion to, to buying an airplane, there could be uh, a tax advantage uh, to using a home equity loan mechanism uh, to, for that financing. So um, as always, you know, use good judgment not only in, when you're flying but when you're trying to buy something to fly. Great. That's right. If you get a really, really good deal, if it seems too good to be true, mm -hmm. remember the old adage. It probably is. That's right. Try to never buy anything right. without a pre-purchase inspection and use a good quality uh, uh, service to uh, help you handle the transaction uh, so that if you're transferring money to somebody far away for an airplane far away, and, uh, and, if, you and can, if you're buying something from Nigeria, don't pay twice what it's worth and expect to get a refund. And don't give them your account number because they yeah. won't send you 10% of that $350 million that the minister set aside for his family. And congratulations. Man, we're just trying to drift off the subject here today, aren't we? You know, we're just like fun. Uh, congratulations. The subject was being smart. Congratulations to Matt on beginning his flight instruction. Absolutely. That's awesome. Absolutely. And uh, hope that Check he'll... Check in with us again, Matt, when you uh, Keep us posted. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Keep us posted. Let's see, what else is going on here? Um, I've got a couple on the list here. I don't know. Uh, uh, Eclipse is apparently... Re hey. How do you want to characterize this? They, they have delivered... Um, oh, I'd, let them, I'd let them characterize it, but uh, um, delivers the first three airplanes to Dayjet. Um, That's those, a total of five airplanes delivered now, kiddies, five airplanes. Uh, yeah. uh, Dayjet, uh, for those who are not aware, is the uh, per-seat on-demand uh, operator um, which uh, promises uh, um, day trips therefore the name of the carrier day trips to middle and high-level managers uh, for businesses uh, in rural areas um, where they would either be driving uh, and overnighting uh, on their their uh, say three or five hundred mile business trips uh, instead uh, 
they can uh, hop a day jet flight for obviously more money, but how much is your time worth and uh, uh, how much is it worth to you to get back home and sleep in your own bed at night? One of the business angles of day jet is that the, you know, they're saying that for less than walk-up fares in many markets, you can get a, uh, a charter flight not from a major airport to a major airport, but from the airport closest to your house to the airport closest right. to where you got to be. Right. My, my uh, favorite example would to use territory with which I'm familiar is kind of like, uh, uh, say, Macon, Georgia to Asheville, North Carolina. If you tried to fly that on the airlines, you can't get there from here. You can't get a nonstop flight from Macon to Asheville. Well, you, you probably take two connections to get there. Right. If you have to go through Atlanta, perhaps uh, depending on the time of day and how quickly you need to get there and or how quickly your plans came together, you might have to make uh, a three-leg trip just to get to to your destination. Uh, and playing the, the airline schedules and uh, your business schedule, uh, uh, trying to get back home, you may be better off overnighting. Um, with with Dayjet, uh, and again the the, the Macon uh, Asheville uh, uh, idea perhaps is is not specifically what what Dayjet has in mind, but it's it's pretty close. Uh, you're you're basically bypassing these major hubs. With with Dayjet's concept, uh, you might have wheels in the well at, at 8 a.m. Uh, be on the ground at Asheville at 9 9:15. Uh, do a full day's worth of business. Uh, maybe even have dinner. Uh, Smoke out of uh, Asheville at 8:30. Uh, you're you're home, uh, uh, putting your feet up on the couch and looking at your email uh, at 10 o'clock that night. And, uh, and what, what uh, that's, that's a productive way to use your day. What DHS trying to do here is bring the the fundamental advantages of general aviation to a taxi service. Mm -hmm. And uh, you call, they haul. Uh -huh. uh, it's been it, it it's. It exists now at different levels and higher prices, right. uh, but the uh, advent of a business jet with operating cost on par with a Beechcraft Baron, uh, or pretty close to it, uh, opens up a lot of uh, opens up a lot of financial dynamics that uh, most of the existing charter operations uh, couldn't couldn't match, and the. Uh, the theory is that uh, this concept is going to grow and take off. There's Dayjet, there's Pogo, uh, there's a couple of others all angling to uh, cast their line into the same pool, and uh, you know that's the biggest market for the for the uh, Eclipse 500, uh, as, as they so note. That's what they've been targeting since they launched back in the 90s. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if this concept. Uh, actually shakes out and, and people can survive and make money at it. Yeah. Maybe that's how I should plan to get down to Jeb's front door in, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, come on down. I, I don't know that. Uh, well, there's a. There's Day, Dayjet initially is operating uh, in Florida. They've set up, I think, Gainesville. Uh, well, you got a new outfit right operating right there at Manassas. It's also oh. operating in. Uh, up, uh, 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 <laughs> yeah, it's operating that, caravans from from New England and, and, and the Middle Atlantic states down I there to Manassas. I'm gonna hurt you, Higdon. 
<laughs> what else is going on? Let's see now. Here's a story we haven't checked in on in uh, in quite some time. The uh, it seems that down in Brazil, uh, there apparently it's kind of a crazy state with their air traffic controllers are on strike or doing sick outs or. Um, well, they it, took a one day strike. Yeah, it's quite a mess apparently, and and this, to at least to a certain extent, was triggered by the whole thing with the mid air with the uh, with the U.S. pilots in that biz jet and the airliner and uh, you know that well, whole that tragedy. Sure stirred the pot. Yeah, so uh, I mean, is somebody, there anything? Somebody, edu- somebody educate me. How is that related to the midair? Well, apparently, I didn't. Say, it, apparently, th- this triggered because there were lots of claims that maybe the traffic controllers were the ones that largely contributed to the f- incident in the first place, and then and they they pres- fought, they pushed back saying, "Oh, well, we don't have enough staff, and there's shortages here and there." And then the government we're pushed back by and the said, "Military." The government pushed back employees. and said, "Oh, no, no, everything's perfectly fine." And then the controllers apparently decided to, you know, demonstrate somehow, some way, and uh, except you know. that the uh, the the uh, uh, Prime Minister, the Premier down there, the the head of uh, state, President uh, of Brazil, is working on taking the air traffic control system out of the military's hands and bringing it into a civilian agency, in hopes of doing some things that would uh, improve the quality of the air traffic control system, the facilities, their ability to handle their own traffic. Uh, right now, these civilian controllers work for the military, and they contend that that's a problem. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah it probably is. I, I well, that's it. good. I, I yeah, I don't encourage anyone to to resort to such extreme measures as striking, but sometimes that's the only way to get attention. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. What else is going on? Any stories you guys are following that are interesting that we should talk about? I don't. I'll talk well, at one, once here. Now, one one item that uh, is kind of a perennial, literally and figuratively, is um, here we are finding ourselves again in, in spring. Uh huh. Um, and uh, there's probably a, a, a layer or two of rust on both our skills yeah. and perhaps aspects of our airplanes. Um, don't be thinking that uh, one can go out to the airport, um, throw everything in the back, crank up, taxi out and take off and be just as proficient or, or just as prepared as you might have been, say, in September or October. Um, so what, what might one do to uh, get the rust off? Well, one thing, and, and uh, it's always uh, uh, a proposition that has a high percentage of, of good results to it, is, is hook up with your favorite instructor. Uh, right. Go out and, and get some uh, some dual instruction, get some refresher training, uh, whether it's... Uh, um, Help support yeah. your local CFI. Right. If whether it's, you know, just to get a few bangs and goes around the airport pattern, uh, get some crosswind experience back under your belt. Uh, go Maybe out and do brush some up on flight. your instrument or night skills. Exactly right. Um, pick pick a topic. Uh, <clears throat> look, pull out your logbook. Uh, look at uh, the recent flights that you logged. Uh, uh, if, you, if you were fortunate enough to be doing some flying over the winter, um, <clears throat> some of that might have been uh, at night. Maybe you weren't fortunate enough, and uh, uh, there's uh, two or three columns in your logbook that could use some more uh, some more numbers in them. Um, discuss it obviously with your flight instructor. Uh, let him come up with a lesson plan or two. Um, go out and uh, get that experience. Um, don't be thinking um, that uh, 
just because you got a private with uh, you know a couple and a couple of zeros after your uh, the number of hours you have in your logbook that uh, you're as crisp and as fresh and as prepared uh, uh, today as you were say you know six months ago when you you kind of put things to bed for a while. Mm-hmm. Same well, is true for the airplane. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. What about the airplane? Uh, uh, it deserves uh, uh, the same kind of attention. Uh, if it's been sitting, whether it's been tied down or or hangered, uh, you need to kind of poke through it, um, uh, wiggle I, everything that moves. So, uh, are we talking about just sort of an extended pre-flight check, or should you get a mechanic to look it over? Well, it never hurts to get a mechanic to look it over, but um, that can you know get into an expensive proposition. There can be miscommunication. Uh, there's nothing that says the the pilot of the aircraft, uh, especially a knowledgeable pilot, can't do a more extensive pre-flight inspection. It doesn't have to be an annual uh, scale inspection like I'm going through, but you don't have to be an A and P to yeah. uh, take out the screwdriver and pull the inspection covers off and make sure that you don't have a family of mice or birds living up somewhere mm-hmm. where exactly. that, that, that didn't live there when you last parked the airplane. Uh, when you sump the tanks, you know, sump them a little extra, shake the wings and sump them some more. Uh, uh, if it hasn't flown all winter, wouldn't be a bad idea to maybe to you know, change the oil and, uh, and 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 filter on it and and check the air filter and make sure that they're all clean. Take a good look at hoses and belts, uh, anything rubber that can de- deteriorate mm-hmm. in bad weather. Uh, you know, somewhere between uh, a quick trip to the shop. And a regular pre-flight is is the right ground, but you yeah, want to yeah. you want to spend more time noodling over it, sticking your nose into more places, and taking more time to make sure everything wiggles, shakes, and bends correctly. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Tire pressures are are, are, are uh, an easy thing to check. Um, again, moving all the surfaces, listening for uh, uh, squeaks or clunks, or or making and just simply making sure that everything does move freely. That there's uh, uh, no critter that's climbed up in there and is jamming up the works. Uh, you want to extend the flaps and make sure that they go down uh, nicely and smoothly and come back up, importantly. Um, check all the lights on the aircraft. Uh, you might want to do it at night just to kind of make sure that uh, everything does work on the panel, for example. It's like, like cars. Lights are yeah. too often overlooked until you're in trouble. Exactly right. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good advice. So now, this is a this is a, a dumb aircraft renter question. Not ever ever owned an airplane. Can a, can the owner change the oil in the filter? Is absolutely. that absolutely really oh, okay? Sure can. Yeah, I, I change would, the I oil would... in filter. Change light bulbs, uh-huh. uh, tires. Uh, there's a whole list of things that uh, you're allowed to do that uh, you can get from a number of websites. Uh, yeah, all, that come all under of this the heading is, of owner fl- owner flown uh, owner maintenance. Right, all of this is in uh, found in FAR Federal Aviation Regulation Part 43. Mm-hmm. I think it's Subpart D, Preventive Maintenance, and uh, delineates the the specific items uh, that a, a private pilot uh, may do to his or her own airplane. Um, in obviously oil changes, light bulb changes, all those kinds of things right. are included. Um, on the oil change, I would encourage anyone contemplating an oil change, A, to, to either have done it before or B, have with them someone who has done it before because it, it is a, 
I won't say a complicated task, but it is something you you want to get right. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, think I, it's not it's not difficult, but it's it, not, it is it is something that's got its own little drill and 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 routine that really needs to be followed. Yeah, the, the first thing I would do would be run up the engine or go fly the engine real quick to, uh, which is typically what I do. I have a little route that when I'm doing an oil change in my airplane, I leave the airport and fly about 30 miles south at high speed and low altitude and turn around and come back and by that time the airplane's all warmed up and and uh, the oil's nice and thin and uh, uh, it's time to go ahead and, and drain the oil and you get more oil out of the you get more of the old oil out of the airplane uh, and any uh, water or corrosion that might have built up in the engine uh, since the last oil change or the last operation of the engine tends to get mixed in with the oil and comes right out when you drain it. Uh-huh. You change the filter, cut the old filter open, take a look at it for metal flakes, particles, drag a magnet through any metal flakes or particles that you come up with. If you uh, see any part numbers, call a mechanic. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You might even consider one of the good uh, 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 testing services and uh, get a sample of your oil and send it in to them, and they'll tell you you know, what kind of uh, uh, pollutants, contaminants are in it, uh, which will give you a baseline to watch in terms of uh, bearing wear and other items uh, that uh, can can shed from the engine and wind up in your oil that uh, can be indicative of uh, premature wear. Yeah. I'm a strong proponent of oil analysis. And one of the tricks, though, is that you uh, you have to do more than one. Uh, That's right. Uh, you can't uh, just do analysis. one. One just tells you where you are. Exactly. One, the first analysis establishes a baseline. The subsequent analyses uh, establishes a trend or trends for various uh, uh, components in the airplane engine and, and obviously the various uh, constituent uh, uh, alloys um, that are uh, from, from which those uh, components are, are built. Mm -hmm. What's it cost uh, to have that analysis done? Uh, I buy uh, pre-packaged kits for like 15 or 20 bucks a piece, yeah. uh, and uh, I have, you know, any, any any particular time, I have four or five on hand. Um, so you do this oil. yourself? I do this myself. I oh, drain really? the oil myself. Uh, I package up the oil in a kit uh, that, I've, that I've, again, pre-purchased. It comes uh, with prepaid mailer. Uh, I send it off to the lab. Ah, uh, okay, I see. Yeah, I fill out the form, uh, send it off to the lab, and three or four weeks later, uh, um, a report they send comes. you back a report. Yeah, cool. a report comes back to me that lists um, the, the uh, I guess in parts per million, the, the various elements and alloys that were found in that oil and uh, compares uh, that those readings, those findings to previous analyses, previous samples. And from there, I can determine various trend lines. One, one of the important things that some people don't do, <clears throat> obviously there are variations from one oil change to the next in the number of hours flown. And uh, depending on how the airplane is flown, um, some elements can appear elevated uh, from one sample to the next. Generally, that's directly traceable to the number of hours between oil changes. Uh, if uh, one oil change you do was, was, say, 25 hours, and the next oil change was 50 hours, then it's not unreasonable to see elevated numbers of certain elements mm -hmm. in oil analysis because there was more hours flown. There's more right, wear. You just on the had engine. more. Just had more wear products dissolved yeah, you have into to it. Rate that out. Right. Uh, so I mean that's oil analysis is not rocket science from the standpoint of 
of uh, you know draining the oil and sending it off to the uh, to the to the lab. It's not rocket science from the standpoint of now analyzing it, um, but it is uh, it is kind of tricky when you say, well, you know, is this elevated, and if so, why? And what do I need to do about it? Interpretation is is the key, and that's where uh, um, you might want to talk to somebody a little bit more experienced than yourself, uh, um, someone you trust, someone who's not out to make a buck on you, uh, to uh, to get a good analysis on some of that. Well, in the oil analysis folks can uh, can give you a little guidance, and uh, there have been numerous numerous articles written on this subject over the years. I haven't seen as much lately as I saw five and six and seven years ago when analysis was still relatively new. Mm -hmm. But uh, you can uh, find some of this stuff on the web and, and get some ideas. You can talk to the engine manufacturer and get a little guidance. There are a lot of sources of information out there. Uh, if you do find yourself uh, working on this idea of doing your own oil changes, uh, like Jeb said, if you haven't done it before, really smart thing to do would be to go to your regular mechanic mm -hmm. and say I want to learn to change my own oil and I'll pay you to show me how and chances are he won't even ache all that much over losing you know the the business of changing your oil uh, because he knows that he's gonna get the work if you screw it up uh, but uh, you find that your aircraft has a screen on the engine and not a filter do yourself a big favor, start looking into an adapter right. that will let you put a spin-on oil filter on there because the spin-ons are much more effective at removing damaging particulate from the engine oil. And uh, we found uh, when we did it to our uh, Comanche that we could get uh, uh, 50 hours out of the oil and still have almost identical analysis numbers to when it had a screen and we were changing the oil at 25. Yeah, that's pretty interesting stuff. Well, we're starting to run out of time again, as usual, having too much oh, fun. Oh, no. One, talking one final comment. Here. Go ahead, Jeb. Two, fi two final comments on oil changes. One, invest in uh, a, uh, a good uh, uh, safety pair of safety wire pliers. Mm. Uh, invest in a spool of 032 safety wire. Uh, and invest in some good tools uh, with which to uh, perform the task. Uh, if you have a quick drain, you probably don't need <clears throat> any tools. You need a hose and a bucket to drain the oil into. But you may need a, a good set of wrenches or something like that to, to get to or expose the, uh, the drain plug and, and, in fact, remove the drain plug. Um, there's, no, there's no excuse for not having the right tools and, and of course, the, the manuals and everything required uh -huh. to to do you want something this. to catch the little waste oil that leaks out of the filter when right. you take right. it off. Uh, was you that, don't want that dripping all over the engine. Go ahead, Jack, number two. Is, yep. is I just don't understand why some of these engines are running around without filters. This is the year 2007. And uh, uh, screens were great back in the 50s, uh, but technology has improved a lot since then. If uh, you're flying an engine that doesn't have a screen, I'm kind of scratching my uh, that does have a screen and not a filter, kind of scratching my head and trying to figure out why you haven't converted that. I still see them all the time and the guys yeah, say, oh, I, I just changed the wheel every 25 yeah. hours and I don't have the expense of putting in that filter. Well, the uh, filter's, you know, five, ten bucks. I'm sorry, your math is all screwy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, wrapping this thing up, let's see, you guys got any uh, quick shout-outs before we finish up? Uh, anything going on you want to call attention well, to? Oh, I was just going to give a shout out to the monthly Ponca City Fly-In Breakfast that's coming up in a couple of days. Uh, if you're uh, in the vicinity of Ponca City, Oklahoma, designator 
on November, Charlie. Uh, best fly-in breakfast you'll find in town. You you talk about punk. We got to go to Ponca City one of these days, we Jeff. Got, I, I've, can we swing I, I've by never, there on the way? Because I, no, it's a little bit out of the way. We might have to stop for gas. Um, <laughs> uh, I've heard Dave rave about this event uh, almost as long as I've known him, and uh, uh, I look forward to the day that I'm finally able to make it out. We'll there. have to we'll have to see if we can work it in sometime. Jeb, you got anything you want to uh, shout out to before nope, we finish up here? Nope, let's stick a fork in this one. Okay, just a reminder. Uh, let's uh, if you're going to be in Sun and Fun, uh, if you're going to be in Lakeland during the fly-in. Uh, Wednesday after the Daily Air Show uh, at the uh, Sun and Fun Radio Building, which is behind the FAA Exhibits Building. Uh, we're going to be recording uh, the episode, and uh, we would love to see you there. And uh, next week uh, on Uncontrolled Airspace, uh, that will be the final episode before we head south. Uh, it will be sort of a Sun and Fun preview. We're going to talk a little bit more about what we're expecting to see and what some of the cool things are, and hopefully we're going to have some fun guests with us next week on the podcast. So, uh, so tune in for that. That's it, I guess. Let's see now. Uh, Dave Higdon, we can learn, you can learn more about Dave and his work at DaveHigdon.com and Jeb Burnside at uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com, also AvWeb.com and JebBurnside.com. <laughs> and uh, we're going to have to pare that list down one of these days. And, just give it, send it all to Jeb Burnside. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you can learn more about me and my work at uh, JackHodgson.com. Also, check out my new tech-related podcast, Tech Populi, at uh, TechPopuli.net. And also visit all of us and see what we're up to at the uncontrolledairspace.com website. So that's it for this time. Thank you, everyone, and we'll talk to you again next time. Keep those cards and comments coming. Roger, copy. I found myself a box full of pancake powder in a case of beer to ease my heart. Pancakes and beer. I wish you were here. I've been staring at your picture all day long. You can email your suggestions and feedback about this podcast to podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. I'm sitting here crying in my pancake stream.